Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One. Co-host also, Mike, is here as well. A big new smorgasbord awaits us. And i got to think we're in the lead of all time for podcasts who have used the word smorgasbord. Uh, at least Borg? American American podcasts, I would <laughs> right. say. There's probably whole podcasts dedicated to smorgasborgs. The smorgasbord podcast? Yeah, now you're getting confused. What would be the best confused. name for your smorgasbord podcast? Uh, that's a great question. We we could do a whole podcast <laughs> coming up with names for smorgasbord podcasts. But uh, I, I think this is a fun Oscar race checkpoint to somehow get back on track here, you lunatic. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think this is this is full of stories from future Oscars, hopefully next year and, and beyond. Yeah. And then we got a couple stories from this year's campaign. But you're right. It's a big catch up on all the news that we've been missing for all these themed episodes because we have to do these these specials you know i mean it's just yeah. it's our way and we love mm-hmm. it it's our way it's carlito's way if either of us were named carlito okay. uh, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead <laughs> no follow? you're just stuck in time you're just stuck in time because <laughs> here's the que- here's the thing you watch carlito's way back in the early aughts when uh-huh. you were you know coming uh-huh. up with all your material that uh-huh. you were going to use for the next 20 years <laughs> I really have. I I tried telling you early on. Like I'm, I'm not. I'm just an amalgamation of a couple sayings that I'll reuse and reuse, and hopefully no one will catch on. That I shouldn't have started a podcast is what I'm saying. If I wanted to make people think I was clever, but that cats you, out. You of the you try to keep it going with like just rewatching the Naked Gun series. Right. Right. <laughs> it's God. What a great trilogy. Is that nominated this year? Not this year. Maybe Uh, next year. That's a shame. All right. Uh, Let's get into it and talk about some future movie news to start this episode. Like you said, hopefully future Oscar contender news. But uh, we have something regarding two big names in Hollywood lore right now. Yeah, two MMO favorites, Paul Thomas Anderson and Leonardo DiCaprio. They have a movie coming out with Regina Hall, another MMO favorite. Mm -hmm. And we have started to see some leaks, picture Mm. leaks. And normally we're not commenting on these. It's gossip. It's TMZ stuff. And and we're not commenting on them. But good Lord, Leo looks like he just came out of a Pearl Jam concert. And Paul (laughs) Thomas Anderson with that turtleneck. David Ehrlich is tweeting out, Michael, I have that same turtleneck at home, and it just—I <laughs> have gotten miles on that thing. <laughs> David Ehrlich, something has happened to him where he's just become full-on like snarky comedian, and I love every second love it. of it. I love yeah. it. IndieWire critic, the best. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Leo, unrecognizable, second film in a row. Yeah, he does. He does got kind of a hipster look on his. He just turned forty-nine in November, and obviously Leo's a household name since at least nineteen ninety-seven when he was in Titanic, and. We're talking about him being an A-lister for about 30 years now, even though he's never worked with Paul Thomas Anderson before, who is another prolific big household name for directors and auteurs ever since his 1997 film, Boogie Nights. So it seems like all things relevant in the film world happened and started in the year of our Lord and the Fifth Element, 1997. <laughs> I, I, I wonder, I, I was wondering, like, when I heard this pairing, 
Oh, that'll be cool. I've never seen Leo. We've, uh, I've, we've never seen Leo work with Paul Thomas Anderson before. Who's the uh, director that you want to see Leo work with who would, where it hasn't happened yet? And then I was going to run down the name of directors Leo's worked with, and then it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so we've seen Leo work with James Cameron, Scorsese, Nolan, Clint, Tarantino, Inuritu, Baz Luhrmann, Adam McKay, Sam Raimi, Danny Boyle, Steven Spielberg, Ridley Scott, Sam Mendes. So, like, the obvious answer would be, you know, any woman director, which Leo hasn't worked with since, like, the early 90s pre-Titanic days and has only worked mm. with three times in his film career. That's kind of weird. And I was going to say, well, at least he produces films with female directors. And he he has, but also his production company is more, or is the things he produces are more based on, you know, nature documentaries and how the earth is dying and nobody's really doing anything yeah, about it. Yeah, so, yeah. nonetheless, it, weird that Leo hasn't really worked with that many female directors overall. That's not the point. Getting back on track to what I wanted to ask originally, who do you want to see Leo work with outside of PTA here now? I, my mind immediately went to M. Night Shyamalan. I don't know why. but really? that, That's where my mind immediately went. I would love... But I, he doesn't need that. Maybe if he gets a string of you know, wild. Uh, movies that don't necessarily work and he, he does a horror film with M. Night and M. Night comes back on the scene in a major way. With, and the Oscar scene, can you imagine that? Yeah, but, that'd be wild. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, Greta Gerwig and Jane Campion and 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 uh, so many female directors should have yeah. should have a chance to work with him. But you know what? Women directors don't get budgets though. So and Leo only acts in movies with a hundred million plus. And that's why I was like, well, at least he produces films. Let me look at what he produces. And he's got to have female directors. He's got to be affording them opportunities. And it's like, nope, still not that many. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Weird. Well, I no, I'm I'm we're both being cynical here, but uh, yeah. No, he he's the biggest movie star on the planet, or one right. of the top five, and, and yeah, female directors haven't gotten those big budgets, so and and we're no better. I mean, because my first instinct was like I, I gave this some thought yesterday when I came up with the idea, and I was like, oh, seeing him in a Ben Affleck movie would be pretty pretty nuts. Yeah, he'd be good in that. I mean, he is a guy's like guy director since since uh, the town. No, well, no, 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 yeah, Affleck is, of course, but uh, Leo's a guy's guy actor, I guess I oh, should say. Oh, I see. Since uh, The Departed, right? I Even actually was thinking, what if, what if Affleck did The Departed 2, Electric Boogaloo, and then I had nowhere to land with that punchline, so I, I abandoned it. Yeah, but I brought it up here anyway. For well, you should, have, you should have completely abandoned it. Yeah. Um, but well, we'll for... chalk it up to a lesson learned, huh? <laughs> are, you, are you excited after seeing these stills? Are you excited to see Grunge Leo? I, I, I'm excited to see Leo, period. I, I mean, he's just, like, one of the dudes. Like, mm -hmm. I will always uh, abide by him, and you're right, he only does big-budget movies, but he can afford to because he's one of the big premier A-listers that we have left that can command an audience just by being on screen, and I am part of that audience with which he commands. So, yeah, I mean, whenever Leo's doing any kind of work as the lead in a movie, I'm in. Speaking of recent... Uh, ensembles that Leo's worked in. Mm -hmm. Quentin Tarantino is reuniting with Brad Pitt for the movie critic Michael. And uh, this is Deadline's latest report. Uh, IndieWire also had a follow-up where they referenced an old report about the movie critic from, I think, late June that we somehow missed. But I don't know if you know this. The, <laughs> the movie critic will center around a film critic who reviews movies for a pornographic magazine. 
The director is... (laughs) Quentin Tarantino has stated that the film was inspired by his early years working in adult movie theaters where he stocked vending machines with porn magazines and found himself intrigued by one writer. Here's what uh, Tarantino said in a 2023 uh, IndieWire interview. All the other stuff was too skanky. Uh, Do I have to do the impersonation? (laughs) All the other stuff was too skanky to read, all right? Okay? But but then there was this porno rag that, okay, had uh, a really interesting movie page. I'm going to stop. He he wrote about a mainstream movies, and he was a second-string critic. I think he was a very good critic. He was as cynical as hell. Maybe Tarantino would like us. His reviews were a cross between early Howard Stern and what Travis Bickle might be if he were a film critic. Think about Travis Diaries. So... I like that the the idea of this being Tarantino's last film is him really just going to be, okay, Academy, you've never recognized me for anything other than screenplay before. I'm going to force you to give me my flowers on a porn site now. (laughs) I like that idea. Um, There's a lot of weird stuff with the casting of this movie. I don't think Paul Walter Hauser has been named as the lead even though he's been, like, circling it for a while. This Brad Pitt story was, uh, it came out in THR that Brad Pitt is circling the Tarantino movie. It hasn't been announced or confirmed or anything. So I, I, I feel like he's doing the Tarantino thing where he's, like, inviting them over to his house. He's, they're thumbing through the one copy of the script that he has written so far, but they have to leave it there, and, and we heard all those stories. But, I mean, this is, I really don't want this to be Tarantino's last movie. I, I understand why he's saying it. I do think, Partially, this is all for marketing purposes. At least mm. it might be retroactively. Maybe he believes it's his last movie right now. I think we're going to get more than just this one out of him, but who knows? What remains to be seen. I'm excited about this. I'm excited about the PTA one. It, you know, I, I'm excited about all these movies we're talking about, quite frankly. Do you think Brad Pitt's getting past, you know, and Hollywood seemed to just let him go past that scandal? I mean, is that is that okay? It happens. I, <sighs> It's not there are some guys. I mean, there are some guys that are just completely Teflon. And I mean, look at I, I was tweeting about this when the the hammer came down on Vince McMahon recently. Like the guy's been embroiled in allegations and horrible news since literally the '80s, and I can talk about them off the top of my head. And it, it's just some people just keep going, and they just escape public ridicule until finally, uh, you know, the the world's aligned and they, they finally get brought to justice, at least in the public sphere. So that being said, I, I, Pitts yeah. only had one instance. Yeah. I'm not trying to out. say that he's, yeah, yeah, I'm not trying to say he's on came out during anything. a divorce proceeding. Yeah, Vince McMahon has so, been, yeah, but yeah, very, very it, different. It was a, but the point is, yeah, awful it seems look. like, awful. Yeah, it seems like, yeah, it seems like some people just escape conflict controversy. All right. Um, we got another big name director announcing a project here, Michael. Pedro Almodovar has announced his first English feature. It's going to be called The Room Next Door. Sony Pictures Classics is going to carry it. Julianne Moore, Tilda Swinton, and John Turturro are labeled to star. So Almodovar has been an awards favorite for decades, especially with the Academy. We've seen that play out recently with his run of Pain and Glory and Parallel Mothers. Parallel Mothers not even getting the international feature uh, selection by, by Spain, and yet he's still with two nominees from that film, including Penelope Cruz. He has six Oscar-nominated films on his resume, another six that have either gotten nominated at BAFTA or the Golden Globes, and he has recently been building to this first English-language feature 
the human voice with Tilda Swinton and Strange Way of Life with Pedro Pascal and Ethan Hawke. They have been two short films that have been in contention for, you know, the short film Oscar. But uh, this has been building for a while. I just feel like the Academy, especially with all the film festival love, you know, they should be put on notice here. They love this man's work. They have shown him a ton of praise all along. If this movie is good, we could be looking at a major Oscar player in in the coming year or two whenever the the room next door is coming out, especially with this cast. I mean, Julianne Moore, Tilda Swinton, John Turturro, sign me up. Yeah, those aren't the type of names that you uh, bring on for a drama if you're not planning on having some kind of awards push for them on the uh, the back end of it. So, yeah, this would seem to play itself well to uh, – I mean, like, you just kind of laid out the case. Almodovar is uh, doing this incredibly intelligently by doing, you know, starting his resume and building his, his career thus far, and now he's finally going into an English feature, and it seems primed to take off in, in both the box office and the awards for. Yeah, I'm rooting for him. I, he was he was a filmmaker who I was studying back in school, and he was in a – talk about he, he was in his prime back when. I mean, all about my mother, talk to her – Bad Education, Broken Embraces, Volver, just back to back to back, one after another, just terrific films. And he looks like he's going on another run here after the last few. So, yeah, I mean, he's a favorite. So, Pedro, we got to be on the lookout. Mm -hmm. We also have a big blockbuster from another storied filmmaker that just got a title, Mike. Beetlejuice 2 is going to be called Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. That makes sense. It's going to be released uh, after Labor Day. Kind of a weird release date for me for a blockbuster, but September 6th it's due to come out. So I'm wondering what you think of this project right now. We haven't talked much about Beetlejuice 2 yet. I am a fan of the original. It's not like a childhood favorite. I came back and revisited this movie much later in life when i realized Mm -hmm. that oh i like the batman movies he's done i like edward scissorhands i like the nightmare before christmas and ed wood oh my god he did beetlejuice i I know it's a famous movie but whatever for whatever reason i never watched it as a kid from 1988 to 1994 those were the six films he put out there and then i get older i'm like oh yeah i like mars attacks sleepy hollow big fish tim burton i'm a tim burton guy i can't believe it I'm saying this because of his recent string with Disney and these goofy movies he's been doing that have just been like cartoon fare. Right. So he he leaves Disney. Now he's back with WB. Do you think he's getting back into his groove with Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Tim Burton? Uh, I know the news, the headline on one of the sites yesterday was that he also just signed on to do a remake of The Attack of the 50-Foot Woman uh, following this. So he's, he's kind of... Uh, reaching into the Wayback Machine for a couple titles that is going to be on his CV coming up. I know there's people out there who, like, deify Beetlejuice, and, like, they live and die for that property, and they've, mm. there's been so much hype about, over the years, about and rumors about if this movie is ever going to actually come and if the sequel's ever actually going to be made. It is a weird release date for such a blockbuster and such an anticipated sequel for me, though. No? It is a bit I mean, weird. what, what yeah. blockbusters come out in, in post-Labor Day, first week of September? It's not the greatest time. You're right. I mean, early October, after the kids get right. settled in at college, right, or at school. That's uh, Yeah, I mean, that's what I would expect for this. Especially, I mean, the horror aesthetic to it, it lends itself well to Halloween. You're putting this out a full, basically two months before Halloween? The only time I remember a good box office performance on Labor Day was Shang-Chi recently, 
and mm-hmm. that was because everything was shut down right for whatever reason it was like a you know a salvaging of the box office remember yeah yeah i, I vividly but i this is but it, it it just it's a halloween movie for christ's sake <laughs> It should probably just be a Halloween movie. Yeah. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Maybe they'll listen but, to it. But, I mean, nonetheless, I'm happy it's being made. It's got a great cast attack. They're bringing back all the OGs, and they're adding some some new blood to it with, uh, the you know, the Jenna Ortegas. Willem Dafoe's in this as well? Mm. Yeah, so, I like sure. the cast. I mean, Keaton, Ryder, O'Hara, they're all back. And uh, I'm interested. I'm interested. I'll have to rewatch Beetlejuice, I guess. I haven't seen yeah. that since... I don't know. I, it was one of those, like, blind spots for me. And It's just, I mean, that's another thing. Like, ABC Family, a Freeform, or AMC, one of those plays Beetlejuice every year during Halloween on cable. Mm-hmm. Why would you not? Where's I mean, there's synergy that you could have be done for you by other companies if you does, release this later in October. Does WB have another Halloween film? Yeah, uh, they must. They must. And I'm trying to try and look that up now. But, I mean, if they do have another Halloween film, we saw that with, uh, you know, the past few years with uh, James Wan movies, etc. But I would expect Beetlejuice 2 could be, like, a 300, 400 million. WB has Joker. They're going to see that for Halloween? That could be a November play. Didn't, what was the first Joker? The first Joker came out October as well? I feel like it was, but I could be totally wrong oh boy this is a wikipedia rabbit hole happening live <laughs> on air you're right october 4th 2019 so uh, october 4th 2024 is when so joker 2 yeah. Adu comes out no so no, no wonder but you could put joker out in early october and beetlejuice at late october can't you sure well i don't know i don't know i don't know either all right uh 28 years later this of course is the Third in the 28 Days Later franchise. It has not only been greenlit, Killian Murphy is producing, currently Oscar nominated. Danny Boyle Mm -hmm. is directing. Alex Garland, uh, the famous uh, writer of Ex Machina, and he's gone on to a directing career that started with screenplays like 28 Days Later. He is writing the screenplay here. Sony is distributing. 28 years later is being made 22 years after the uh, original film, but that's okay. We'll, 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 we'll give them some leeway there, Michael. Are you excited <laughs> about 28 years later? Yeah, I'm excited about the the reunion of the, uh, you know, it's a nostalgia play, but it's not just done, being done with the rebootquel type idea in mind of bringing back some of the OG actors and stuff. It's, it's a nostalgia play with the OG director and writer attached to it, and the guy who was the original lead actor is now going to be in the uh, producer role behind it. And I think it's a great move by Sony, uh, doing that. I wonder if that's going to become its own trend where some of these older uh, IPs are going to get reinvigorated with the same auteurs behind them that made them famous in the first place. And I, I like Alex Garland a lot, obviously. I mean, Danny Boyle's record CV speaks for itself too, and so does Killing Murphy's, but I like Alex Garland a lot. He's someone who has a filmmaker. I was going to say I get, but I'm not sure you can get Alex Garland any more than you can get <laughs> David Lynch. You're just kind of strapping in and enjoying the ride what he that he takes you on. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, just as a means of review, he hasn't written for another director other than himself since the criminally underrated 2012 Dread movie, uh, unless you want to count the Devil May Cry franchise, which is a great video game franchise, which I had no idea that Alex Garland was a part of, but he wrote for, I guess, which oh, wow. I, I, I speaks for 
why I also have an affinity for him because I, I love that series. So that makes a lot of sense, but I didn't even realize that. Uh, in that same time frame, though, since 2012, Danny Boyle has only directed four films himself, those being Trance, Steve Jobs, Train Spotting 2, and Yesterday. So some hits, some misses. Uh, he's also done some prestige TV in that uh, time frame. I would expect this movie to make really good box office, not just because of the nostalgia play of it all, mm-hmm. but. This is a, a franchise with a good track record at the box office. 28 Days Later made $97 million worldwide on an $8 million budget. 28 Weeks Later did $65 million worldwide on a $15 million budget. All told, those two series entries, they've done better than a 7-to-1 revenue-to-production input dollar-for-dollar. Dollar. So I would think this is going to have the biggest budget yet of the series. I think it'll have the biggest uh, box office yet of the series. I think they're going to only add to those numbers. We've seen a lot of horror franchise movies do very well. Of course, Evil Dead Rise and and the latest Scream movies and a lot of these, a lot of these properties, you know, these IP in the horror genre have made like 150 to 200 million, just bankable, 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 back to back to back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it makes some sense. I mean, yes, you know, maybe a movie with the subtitle Believer didn't do quite as well, but they should have listened to me on that. That was, <laughs> I told them. Well, they only spent suck. 400 million on it, so. It's not yeah. Like yeah, I'm sure they're, I'm sure they'll be fine. They're not trying to. <laughs> anyway. All right. Uh, we'll move into the Sundance news kind of follow-up section here. Uh, we do have more acquisitions, Michael, and some heavy hitters making purchases that I wanted to update after last week where we kind of did half of them because that news kept coming out after our Sundance episode. All right, so Netflix has been busy. They acquired three more films. They got Daughters, which was one of your favorites. The documentary uh, carries an early 81 Metascore. It's got an early 100% on Rotten Tomatoes on its first 13 reviews. Yeah, Netflix also acquired the documentary Will and Harper. I'm so excited hit. for that. Uh, another hundred percenter on the tomato meter there. We forgot to mention this movie in the last episode because I'm a dope, but I was hearing a ton of great buzz about Will and Harper throughout the festival. Here's the premise in this intimate portrayal of friendship transition in America. Will Ferrell and his best buddy of 30 years decide to go on a cross country road trip to explore this new chapter in their relationship. And I believe they both worked on Saturday night live together, Harper and Will and Harper, right? I, I, I don't know that, but sure, yeah, that seems. I, I know they're supposed to be like lifelong friends and lifelong comedians. But this is this is being touted as some of the podcasters that I love, the Oscar podcasters, as maybe too mainstream for Oscars. That we've seen that as a trend. I don't know about you, Michael, in recent uh, years with the documentary feature branch. Sure, yeah, if it's good, it's not going to be considered. I get it. <laughs> but uh, look, Net- Netflix is like covering all possibilities. They want to be back in this documentary feature race. They have power from the Strong Island director. They have the greatest night in pop, which might be the greatest movie ever made. I still need you to <laughs> might be. watch That's that yet. Not what I heard. Last have you episode. watched? Have you watched? No, it yet? I, and I also don't like this. I don't like that that time has gone on, and you're backing off how it's the greatest film in the history of cinema. Either I told now, it you might be the greatest film ever. I made. told you to watch it and tell me if I'm right, because well, I trust suspect. what you're saying at all now. I can't trust what I'm saying. That's the whole point. <laughs> I don't have my mojo. I'm like the beginning of Austin Powers too. You need to tell me I've had my Austin. You've had your mojo all along. <laughs> That's what I need you to do for Turns me. Turns out Rebecca was a fembot. <laughs> yes, all right. we knew all along, sadly. <laughs> but listen, uh, Netflix acquired Daughters, Will and Harper, uh, Power, 
they they acquired an international doc winner from Sundance, Ibelin or Ibeline, excuse me. Uh, Skywalker's a love story. That's six six with the greatest uh-huh. night in pop documentaries from Sundance. Yeah. Netflix is trying to do something in documentary again. They're also uh, kind of having a well-rounded library offering uh, coming off of Sundance here. They bought a mystery thriller from the midnight section called It's What's Inside. Has the premise that reads, as such a pre-wedding party descends into an existential nightmare when an estranged friend shows up with a mysterious suitcase. And if I had a dollar for every time that happened in my life, (laughs) let me tell you. Uh, Perry Nemiroff, who we love, Collider, she writes, it's a wildly clever concept that soars thanks to next-level acting gymnastics and extremely smart and well-executed visual techniques by director Greg Jardine. I just I just picture Gomer with uh, <laughs> your friend, our friend Gomer, just crashing through. Wearing like a fedora a, that covers his eyes with a log suitcase. Cabin do- yeah, log cabin door with a very <laughs> Pulp Fiction-looking briefcase that's what i that's what i say and if you don't know gomer you could just picture gomer you don't know it's the same thing that's right that's right all right uh focus features they acquired dd from sean wang i was hoping somebody good Mm -hmm. like focus would pick this one up this is the u.s dramatic audience award winner uh i was a big fan of it so i'm glad there magnolia pictures they acquired another crowd and critic favorite in thelma with uh 93 year old action star breakout squib michael (laughs) I already don't feel well. Don't make me cough on air. (laughs) Um, IFC bought Ghostlight. It's another 100% on Rotten Tomato. Its premise says, when a construction worker unexpectedly joins a local theater's production of Romeo and Juliet, the drama on stage starts to mirror his own life. All right. Yeah, Peter DeBruge of Variety says, Kelly O'Sullivan has a natural storytelling gift coupled with a knack for comedy. Here she takes grieving families, difficult teens, small town communities, and rearranges them into a surprising and moving narrative. I've heard a lot of buzz about Ghostlight from the directors of St. Francis, which was a nice little indie film that I enjoyed a couple years back. So Kelly O'Sullivan back with another feature. So again, these buzzworthy titles getting picked up. we got one more big purchase by WB Discovery, Michael. Yeah, they got Superman, the Christopher Reeve story for uh, what's been said to be a $15 million price tag. DC Studios is the rumored distributing arm here. This will probably come out before James Gunn's Superman legacy movie hits theaters in 2025. All right, so to sum it up, Amazon MGM, they picked up my old ass. <laughs> we have search, Searchlight with a real pain in Suncoast. Neon with presence, stress positions, couple more for Neon there. Sony Pictures Classics with kneecap. And what else? Did I, I just mentioned another one from Sony. Anyway, uh, A Different Man, uh, I Saw the TV Glow, Love Lies Bleeding, all A24, Bleecker Street. They have Sasquatch Sunset. Still out there, though, in the summers, the U.S. Dramatic winner, Freaky Tales, which was... Like, like we we talked about last episode, a huge buzzworthy title starring Pedro Pascal, Between the Temples, Exhibiting Forgiveness, Gaucho Gaucho and the Outrun, still waiting for them to get distribution. But I, a lot of people were worried about Sundance Films getting getting bought this year. They they talked about the industry in flux. It was a, it was a definite fear from from a lot of the the runners of the festival. Uh, and I'm glad, I'm glad that this is happening. I'm glad the market's still out there, Mike. Yeah. Uh, what, what was the fear of, uh, based in? Why would they think these, these films wouldn't get picked up? I just, it, it, they were talking about how the market's been volatile, especially with these, with these, uh, movies that, you know, the 10, $15 million price tags may go away. 
that uh, unless it's a genre fair like they saw Talk to Me last year, Talk to Me took off for A24, but you know, past lives, it, it, it was you know coming in with distribution. But last year we saw a couple fifteen twenty million dollar price tags, and they were suspicious that it was happening again. And here we go. Yeah, still well, there is the. There is the whole, you know, are people actually, is the older crowd even returning to movie theaters yet? That whole uh, narrative is definitely out there on the zeitgeist. So I guess I, I understand the concern, but I I would be more surprised if these purchases weren't happening, to be honest. Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as Oscar news goes, we do have Margot Robbie responding to the Barbie snub outrage of it all. Yeah, we want to follow up on the Barbie story because it's it's still huge. Uh, she took the high road, Michael, like, like I'm sure we, we thought she would. Here's what she said. Quote, there's no way to feel sad when you know you're this blessed, unquote. Uh, she later followed up with, quote, obviously I think Greta should have, been, should have been nominated as a director because what she did is a once-in-a-career, once-in-a-lifetime thing. What she pulled off, it really is. Uh, and then later she said, quote, we set out to do something that would shift culture affect culture just make this sort of impact and she was ultimately just very very uh you know positive about the whole thing she was not at all woe was me so she handled it exactly right here and i guess coming off of this we've seen some great think pieces from rebecca sun from clayton davis about the barbie snubs and about you know the the aftermath and i'm wondering if either of us uh think that what what Scott Feinberg talked about in his piece, this this snub power, if it's going to actually take a tangible form and a big win, unexpected win, maybe for Margot Robbie at SAG or uh, an ensemble win at SAG, or you know BAFTA didn't treat it that well with uh, the nominations, but you never know. Maybe they pick they pick Barbie somewhere on on the card there. Right? Do you think Barbie's going to get a surprise and, and quote unquote jolt this race? Maybe somewhere in SAG. I would be surprised. I, I think the most likely spot for it to happen still for me would be screenplay on the Oscars stage. Yeah. Just to I, give, I would uh, agree. Give, give Greta Gerwig a, a live microphone again on an award stage because that seems to be a, a recipe that's worked thus far. So And that, I, I can that, that screenplay. That screenplay yeah. has been winning a lot of awards just on the other side of the you know bracket sure. with original. But so as far as anything, I, I mean, I guess maybe SAG. BAFTA would shock me. Yeah, I can't probably. see winning anything at BAFTA, no? It's it's going to win its categories, right? It's going to win production design. It's going to win cost. Uh, right, it's, right, it's right. not going to win costumes, but it, it's it's vying for costumes. But it's going to win uh, the, 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 the song categories, not at BAFTA, but costume. at Oscars. Should win costume, right? With that, I was here, I was looking at predictions. We got to do like an updated prediction show yeah. at some point. Maybe we'll do that as a special coming up. We've been batting it around uh, to actually get a lay of the land again. It's just a couple weeks away from this stuff you forget. But, uh, yeah, it's going to win a, a handful of Oscars, I would think, still. That's its floor or no? Yeah, I, I would imagine so. And I think more importantly is that it's going to be the movie. I mean, Barbenheimer, when you look back at 2023 this and uh, movies and film in 2023, it's going to be the year of Barbenheimer. And, well, mean, we were my... saying that. We were hoping that. And then these, these snubs happened. And now we're starting to worry. Right? I, I don't even mean from an Oscar standpoint. I just mean like going on in history when we're like, you know, when Mike, Mike and Oscar is in 2035 doing this and we look back at what happened in film year 2023. It's going to, I think You're it's right. going to be at the, least you know, Oppenheimer and Barbie. 
at least the Oscars have never ignored the fact that the biggest movie of the year. I don't understand. Yeah, they they keep doing it. it. Should win movies. It's it's infuriating. Awards should win movies. Oh, here I can't speak now. At least Oppenheimer's gonna. You know, they seem to have that right. And I mean, if if Barbie isn't gonna be winning all the awards, it should. At least Oppenheimer seems like it will. So that's at least proper in my eyes. Well, to be continued for sure. I thought this was a fun story and something that the BAFTAs are finally doing right, hopefully. Uh, Sophie Ellix Bexter is going to perform Murder on the Dance Floor at the BAFTAs, Michael. I feel like people are shocked to learn that this is a near quarter century years old song. (laughs) But it came out for Ellis Bexter's first album back in 2001. And her performing on the BAFTA stage kind of goes in line with the weird MTV-ish feel that this whole awards season has had because uh, not even just limited to the Oscars award season, but like we had Kate Smith and Running Up That Hill make a huge comeback last year thanks to Stranger Things. We've had Murder on the Dance Floor here coming back thanks to Barry Keoghan and Little Barry Keoghan or Not So Little Barry Keoghan or as I like to call him. Congratulations, Barry Keoghan. Uh, <laughs> Diane Warren and John Williams, they're each still racking up nominations like it's the 1990s. Barbie <laughs> would have likely had three original song nominees if the rules allowed it, and two would have been by two of the current most famous singers in pop right now, and the other one would have been by a former Mouseketeer, or at least the one that did get nominated is by a former Mouseketeer and one of the most famous women in pop right now, Billie Eilish and uh, Ryan Gosling there. And then there's the fact... Which is one of my favorite facts of award season, which I was reminded of on film Twitter recently, and I forgot was like one of the big deciding factors for me in our 75% still too early uh, Oscars prediction episode, that Jonathan Glazer, who, he is, who is nominated for both uh, screenplay and director for Zone of Interest, for the Best Picture nominated movie Zone of Interest, mm-hmm. directed one of the most influential and famous music videos of all time, 1996 Virtual Insanity from Jamiroquai. So this whole awards season here and the last couple of years of awards in general have had a very music-ish feel, a very pop culture, MTV-ish type of slant. So uh, this decision by the Baptist to have Sophie Ellis Bexter perform live kind of falls in line with uh, what's been going on lately. I started out delighted by your rant here, and then mm-hmm. I realized what it was, and I'm going to call you out for what it was. You're just <laughs> proving... The that fact that your <laughs> your time is still cool, You're like see, right. <laughs> see, two thousand and one, two thousand and one things are still cool, especially musically. Damn right. <laughs> oh my god! All right, um, we do have to cover this story. I think it's the first of its kind that I know of, or at least that I'm aware of. About what, that I'm going to speak pos- semi-positively about a Republican? Is that what you mean? The first of its kind? No, but <laughs> we do have a GOP senator, Josh Hawley, attacking Oppenheimer here. And he's upset at Oppenheimer, and he wants the Oscars to recognize the nuclear test vista- victims of the Oppenheimer film yeah. at the Oscars. For All right, great. That's fine, Josh Hawley. Way to stump for this yeah but i mean it's okay. it's it's self-serving but i do think it all right I, i'm gonna grip my teeth and say something not horrendously awful about horrendously awful missouri senator josh holly for once okay. uh he did pen an open letter to the academy urging them to recognize victims of america's nuclear testing claiming that there are still americans suffering from radiation effects today from those tests uh including people in his represented state so 
unlike when Hawley raised his fist in support of the rioters on January 6th prior to running away from them to find cover because he was terrified of what they'd do if they got near him as shown on CCTV inside the Capitol. I think this actually may not be a hypocritical and disgusting gesture on his part. I haven't decided that yet, but I'm leaning that way. But granted, this is for a self-serving cause because Hawley has been trying to get the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act reauthorized in Congress. Uh, but at first glance, that to me anyway, that act seems to actually do some decent good as it does seem to provide benefits and money to people who were affected by the United States testing of the these nuclear bombs or right. atomic bombs, excuse me. So, um, okay. I agree with your take on this, Mike. So here's the thing. Th- that's all well and good. Yeah. This entire movie is an apology, and it's a meditation right. on the horrors of this invention, especially the Obviously. last 90, mi- 90 minutes. I mean, the glorification is I mean, the scene in the gym where Robert Oppenheimer's giving the speech is all of that. Of course it is. Christopher right. Nolan casted his own daughter to play up the dramatic irony of that hallucinatory right. artistic license, right? So th- that speech scene is, is case in point. But the whole third act, of course, is is this meditation on the horrors of this invention. And the American casualties are not the focus of the story because I think the immediate aftermath of the bombs being detonated, we had several hundred thousand dead Japanese. Right. There's also many inferences and references to the fallout on American soil about and there, there's a ton of <laughs> ominous uh, references about that they're, they're not explicitly talking about these th- these victims on on site there but they're talking about how close everybody is too close to the to, to the tests of course to the trinity test everything's too close you get your soldiers away get the people away right. i mean is this far enough i mean it, they're, they're making fun of the brother oppenheimer's brother i mean look, we can go on and on i mean and then you have everybody in the in the compound, dealing with dealing with the fallout, obviously just absolute in tatters. So I, this movie is an apology. I mean, I get what he's trying to do here, but I've been wondering. Here's my point. Finally, coming around to my point: Is this the start of an Oppenheimer backlash? Does it come from the right in this instance? Is this something that finally derails Oppenheimer's momentum a little bit? Do you believe that? Is this justifiable, perhaps? You know, Oppenheimer might be critic-proof, politically critic-proof, I should say, because, Mm -hmm. yes, watching the movie, clearly it's apologetic to all the victims of of the making and the exploding of the atomic bombs. Not enough, never enough. I mean, we can always make that argument. Of course, of course. But the use of those bombs in the first place is something that would be heralded by a more conservative party anyway. Yeah. <laughs> we, so, could, we could obviously. I mean, I mean I'm not, that's not me being a cynic. That's history. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, you know, it does kind of walk that political tightrope in a way that I think, I don't think it does anything to outrage either side of the aisle, mm-hmm. which is unique for a Hollywood picture and certainly something that's going to win Best Picture. So right. I, I, I and I, it would take a, a deft touch by a guy as talented as Christopher Nolan to do to pull off such a feat. 
And I mean, the fact that this is a blockbuster in and of itself in the first place, like he keeps saying and his wife keeps saying every time they accept an award is a minor miracle because it's a, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a talking movie. It's a movie about conversations, essentially. So science talk. Right. Right. It's 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 crazy. Science and politics. We were science and politics for three hours. I remember after we first saw the movie, I was like, I can't believe this is what Oppenheimer is. Right. It was very surprising. It's great. And it's great. It's riveting. So just rewatched it again. I mean, uh, we, we've been talking to friends about rewatches. Yeah, everybody's everybody's still loving it. And this is what politicians do on either side of the aisle, right? I mean, they try to ride the coattails of something with momentum to shoehorn it into what they can get done on Washington. So this is okay. par for the course, if anything else. Um, right. Well, hopefully, I am not a fan that. of Josh Hawley. I don't like him. Well, but you like you're saying, maybe. Well, maybe he's trying to do something good with his hopefully. authority. Hopefully, we hope. All right, IATSE, Michael, and Teamsters are joining together to negotiate health care benefits with the studios. Michael, this was a story that was looming for a while. After the strikes, IATSE's contract was up next. Here we have good faith negotiations seemingly starting, and this is just the start, but I did want to mention this in this kind of industry news segment now. What do you th- what do you think of this? What do you make of this IATSE negotiations? Um, I'm I, I don't know how you can read Hollywood at any level of what's happened in the past year and not think unions are a smart idea. If you're if you're a blue collar worker, if you're a worker in general, if you're not part of the C-suite, I mean, unions are what get they are how the little guy gets power and IATSE. And the Teamsters and Hollywood Basic are proving that here. I mean, they're teaming up mm-hmm. to negotiate with the AMPTP, uh, much like SAG-AFTRA did, much like uh, the WGA did before them. They're going to be negotiating pension and health plans jointly via streaming-based fundings, which have yet to be factored into those unions, which are a big part of what we talked about with the WGA and the SAG strike anyway over the summer and uh, fall months, how those two unions needed to – I mean, this the streaming is a new uh, – technology that needed to be ironed out and the fundings and revenue of which needed to be factored into the people that make all those things possible. And obviously the Teamsters and the IATSE, the, you know, the group members that build the sets and (laughs) they're responsible for the actual magic of the movie being made, uh, have to be taken care of as well and should be taken care of. So, uh, they're going to team up for those causes. There are separate issues, obviously, which affect each, each of those unions individually that will be handled with negotiations separately, uh, on a case by case basis with the AMPTP and IATSE has first crack at those individual negotiations with the AMPTP coming up in June. But it's important to highlight that, uh, apparently all three contracts for the IATSE and the Teamsters and, uh, Hollywood basic, all end uh, at the end of July, July 31st, those contracts are up. So if there is going to be a strike forthcoming, we'll be hearing about it in the summer months, and it'll start August 1st for any of those. Yeah, we'll have to keep our eyes on it because that could be a huge, huge mm-hmm. story for our summer to be sure. So, yeah, to keep this rare political slant on our episodes going, uh, we did want to catch up on another big story, uh, an MMO favorite, John Stewart. He is returning to The Daily Show, Michael. I believe he's just working Mondays? through next year's election cycle? What'd you make of Jon Stewart coming back? It's nice to be famous, isn't it? I'm just going to do Mondays. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be, I'm just going to do Mondays and get paid millions of dollars. Uh, yeah, Jew- John Stewart following the Rachel Maddow schedule here. Maddow removed herself from her nightly MSNBC primetime news show to doing only Mondays herself. So now she can be involved in other ventures. That's what Stewart is doing. Stewart's going to take back the Daily Show desk on Mondays himself through the election. Uh, and there's an option, I believe, in his contract to stay through, stay on for 2025 as well. A uh, few things here. First... Maybe this is why it's taking The Daily Show forever to name a, rep- a full-time replacement host for Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah stepped down as the host of The Daily Show in December of 2022, if you remember. If Jon Stewart is at all a possibility to come back and host The Daily Show, The Daily Show has to do whatever they can to make that happen, no? It makes sense. I mean, it, it was the golden age of the show, obviously. Right. I mean, that's you're not going to get higher highs than when Jon Stewart was at The Daily Show desk you for that can show. Also, you can also send up the rest of your every week with him talking yep. about talking about how he's basically there. It's tryouts for the next host after him. If he Absolutely. Monday. Yeah. And that's what they're doing. I mean, the rest of the week is going to be uh, not guest hosts anymore, but they're going to have their correspondents switch and host to take turns hosting. So that's what right. they're going to find. It's a shame because it, it costs them, you know, Roy Wood Jr., who stepped away from the show, who yeah. probably should have been given the host duty. But, uh, you know, it did cost them a couple of their correspondence, uh, which is a huge shame. But this is going to be like a, a practice run for someone to take over eventually full time. All right. So it makes sense. It sounds yeah. good. Hope it um, works out. Secondly, though, I just want to comment on how like improbable it was that John Stewart would even be available in the first place to take a con- contract with Comedy Central. Because uh, he had a popular and multi-time viral topic show on Apple TV called The Problem with Jon Stewart, which ran for two seasons and was expected to be on the streamer for as long as Jon Stewart felt like doing the show. Yeah, but we However, thought it was popular, Mike. I mean, it's a Apple TV Plus show. How many subscribers do they have? They don't release any of their numbers that, either. You no, know, that's, that's fair. The YouTube clips that went viral were wildly popular. I mean, they had millions upon millions of views. They were You can find them on TikTok, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the show did go viral a couple times, and for good mm-hmm. reason. I mean, Jon Stewart's good at that. But out of nowhere, this past October, Stewart announced that uh, his Apple show, he's stepping away from the Apple show. And he, he cited creative differences. And what those creative differences turned out to be was that Apple itself was uncomfortable with Stewart proposing upcoming episodes tackling subjects such as AI and most concerning to me, uh, China in general and the Chinese government. Apple didn't want to ruffle any feathers with China or one of their hmm. uh, international regions. And that kind of even made its way up to Congress in and of itself. There was reports in December that Congress wanted to talk to Apple about why they were so scared to have uh, a spotlight shown on China or have one of their their shows, one of their contracted talents criticize China or the Chinese government on Apple's uh, programming. They're very wary, obviously, as you know, it makes sense of an international government dictating American programming. Right. Right. And we've seen many a times big American corporate interest balk at any conflict sure. in China. It's that's going to continue. Mm-hmm. It's uh, pretty transparent there. All right. Yep. Uh, that'll end our industry news segment. I want to catch up on a couple of movies I've been watching uh, before we head into a couple trailers here. So I'll, I'll go relatively quick here, Michael. But Bobby Wine, the People's President. This is a Hulu documentary. I'm going to give it a B all day. 86. Really, really strong journalistic heroism on full display like these cameras are getting in the midst of so much danger so much shooting capturing evidence about the truth of the regime in uganda and how bobby wine is trying to legitimately 
legitimately win an election over there and yet it's the most fraudulent set of elections that seemingly has ever been <laughs> uh, comprehensive coverage as well like we're with, we're with Bobby or with key people in his uh, I guess cabinet or his inner circle including his wife and then there's trials and then there's through the pandemic I just I'm not surprised at all Bobby Wine the people's president is nominated this year in the documentary feature category I was hearing things like this so it was nice to finally get a get around to it and, and, and confirm it for myself. What makes you feel more harrowing, that or 20 Days in Mariupol? Well, it's, those are very different, I would say, because 20 Days in Mariupol is, is more grounded in the war violence. However, yeah, it's, but it's, it, I, I, both, both, it sounds like anyway, both show the, you know, ugly side of humanity. This is ways. police. Yeah, this is police brutality right. at its worst. It's it's ominous stuff. Yeah, I I was I don't know the the history here, so I was worried about a tragedy at any moment, and it really was harrowing. Right. Both right. both both documentaries there. Uh, I watched Origin with Anjanou Ellis Taylor, uh, Ava DuVernay's new film. This was not the movie I expected at all in a very good way. I thought this was going to be this tree of life type of three-story film, very high-minded and philosophical. And it is philosophical. It's very smart, but it it's very linear, Michael. This is the story of the writer of the book cast, played by the Anjanou Ellis Taylor character, and Ava DuVernay just brings her research to life throughout the movie, like in flashbacks, flash forwards, whatever, from the untouchables of India to the rise of fascism in Nazi Germany hmm. there to undercover anthropologists trying to understand the Jim Crow deep south. Like these are some harrowing subplots brought to life. I, I just this was a this was an excellent film. Be all day. I, I it does you know, have a pet peeve ending for me where it's just a big speech by the author speaking right, righteous truth at like one of our uh, seminars, which again, you know, I, I, I wish they did a little better than that uh, in yeah. terms of a finale, but uh, in terms of the, I mean, good Lord. I mean, the, the, the way they built this up and interconnected it into the author's family life origin is, is, is intense, really well done. A Ava DuVernay, you know, uh, tr just a tremendous job by her. Anjanou Ellis Taylor, the performances are really good here uh, as well. Nishi Nats Betts has a great part. So, another, another strong film. I'm just, I guess I'm surprised this had no traction throughout award season. We had a good Telluride review, or was it TIFF? I can't remember now. But it really, it just came out way too late. The late breakingness of Origin was too late. Yeah, it seemed that way. Because anyone who's talked about it has had nothing but positive things to say about it. Yeah. Two movies I need you to see this season are Eileen and Memory, Michael. I don't know what to think about Memory. It's it's like this vexing story because they did the screenwriting thing of uh, the no-no of hiding the ball. Like this is a notorious criticism among screenwriting professors and writers and teachers forever. Hiding the ball where you're not sure what this movie is about necessarily. And once you learn what Memory is about... Yeah, I wish they just had that premise from the beginning, perhaps. I mean, I, I know we're all wondering about Peter Sarsgaard's memory this is the in Jessica the trailer. Jessica Chastain movie where we, we the yeah. trailers, what's going on with Peter Sarsgaard there. Right. Yeah. So the message makes good sense, and I get it. I like both performances, even more upon reflection, thinking about back to what they were pulling off here. I just wish they were more in the weeds, I guess, of this movie. And it's just a very strange watch where I just felt like a bit unfulfilled in terms of memory. But it does, yeah, it does give you an insight into 
something that you're not very familiar with. So right. anyway, that's memory. Uh, I, I don't even know what to grade it. Like B minus? I, I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. One okay. Freud's Last Session. I went to the theaters last week and I saw Freud's Last Session. Anthony Hopkins, Matthew Good. Anthony Hopkins plays Sigmund Freud. Matthew Good plays C.S. Lewis. They're supposed to debate about the existence of God. They're supposed to have this. I mean, you have famous atheists and a famous uh, Christian. And Mm -hmm. this is a hypothetical meeting and a hypothetical argument. We're not sure that they met, even though there's some evidence to that. Uh, effect that in in Freud's last days they might have met during the onset of World War II, but there's just like sparring and dancing around all the major arguments, and I just wish they just had a knockdown dragout that they really never had. <laughs> so it's like one of those what could have been Freud's last session. I just was waiting for the big, you know, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf argument. That I mean, they were there was so polite to one another the britishness of c.s lewis he was too polite you're first to never... rooting for anthony hopkins to be handled just bite his neck freud <laughs> we never had the intellectual brawl we never had it and i mean it, it, I got, that there. sounds boring mike that does not sound like an entertaining watch it's sniping it's well it's fascinating if it's just two I'm... guys refusing to go for the gusto like anybody i studied these two and their writings when i was in school and i figured i figured they were gonna go at it and we were right. gonna get the two and, and especially like, if it's you know, a hypothetical meeting, don't you want the, like, why play nice? Why, why, why? Yeah, why not? Yeah. And it's a play. You would think on right. stage, you would have to make makes no sense to me. Freud's last session, just a baffling film. That to me sounds like somebody who like who who has these fantasies where they can't even give themselves more than like like what's your fantasy? Oh, free bread. You know, like <laughs> you know, like what do you mean free bread? You can have anything. It's your fantasy. <laughs> the things I put on bread. Never mind <laughs> the bread that I seek out. Anyway, I also saw Mean Girls, and I just want to give a, a shout out to Mean Girls. I had a lot of fun. Uh, mean Girls. It's a great story written by Tina Fey back when, right? We were growing yeah. up. Yeah. They retold that story. They they updated just enough stuff, which was fun. I went to my new Dolby in in T Rumble there. Okay. So that that was the first time I experienced that theater, and that's going to be a new favorite of mine. That's going to be one of the best places to watch a movie near us. I have a confession. Mm-hmm. I have been going down such a Mean Girls the Musical rabbit hole the last week or so on YouTube, on <laughs> TikTok. I have just been looking for different people's and how they uh, <laughs> different. Uh, uh, actors' approaches to these characters in the musical singing these songs. I can sing the sexy song that Karen sings in the musical word for word. <laughs> oh, you. So wait, you know their character names? Yes. Yeah. So I. Yes. All right. So who who is the real singing? Renee Rapp is is a real star, oh, yeah. isn't she? Uh, she was. She, she was. She was Regina on the Broadway stage. Before, I mean, when the show got shut down because of COVID. She's fantastic. Her, her voice is un... I mean, I am an unabashedly... I am no better than any female out there. I am wholeheartedly in love with Renee Rapp. She is unbelievable. She's such I a talent. The, yeah, where movies like Wonka struggle to just have that musical talent in play, this movie is just... They have it. And they show... That's good it. to hear. I mean, there, there has been a huge... Uh, not huge, but there's been a backlash against Angori... Uh, 
Rice, I think her last name is, uh, the one who plays the Lindsay Lohan character there, uh, because she, yeah, she's she, fine. Yeah, she hasn't been able to hit the high notes, hit the big notes as when compared to her uh, uh, movie mates. Every, there, her everybody else can though, so yeah. that's fine. I mean, Chalamet yeah. couldn't, but everybody else didn't in Wonka. But in this movie, I mean, Jaquel Spivey was fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I just I really enjoyed. Really enjoyed uh, this musical much more than I thought I ever would. I had no business liking this. When you are the hot one, it's a full time gig, Mike. <laughs> okay, <I'll take> <laughs> Michael. We got a couple trailers to end on here today. We grown now. This is a three time nominee at the Indie Spirit Sony Pictures Classics debut at TIFF. Journey Smollett, Lil Rail Howery. This is a movie I was anticipating. Two very strong child performances seemingly yeah. here. Blake Blake Cameron and uh, Gian Knight Ramirez uh, from writer-director Minhal uh, Beg, excuse me, her second feature after Hala, uh, starring G- Geraldine Viswanathan. We grown now. What do you think of this trailer? I, I don't think I can ever visit the real Cabrini Green because <laughs> if I ever did and it's not as presented in this trailer and the Candyman series, I'm just going to be heartbroken. Uh, you're going to be heartbroken, probably, because it's a real place. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I mean, I have no idea what it looks like in real life, but I the, the this shot of Cabrini Green in this trailer and what Candyman presents are very strikingly similar. So if they weren't shot at the same location, the set mm-hmm. designers have done a wonderful job of making it look like at least each other, if not the real Cabrini Green. I wouldn't know. But, um, yeah, this trailer was technically beautiful. Great score, great cinematography. You had Lil Rel flexing his dramatic muscles in this. Um, I don't know that we got the full story because I made the mistake, maybe, of going on uh, writer-director Minhal Beg's uh, IMDb. Okay. And in her IMDb biography, that mentions this movie and how there's a tragedy within the movie oh, no. that changes the characters' lives. You kind of get maybe an allusion to that in this trailer, but it's not certainly not shown. Okay. Oh, well, I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly there. The cinematography in particular was fantastic. Yep. I mean, obviously the low angles you're going from the child's POV for much of the story. Uh, there's a one shot with like the orange, sil- you know, setting sun in the back. What was mm-hmm. that? Oh my goodness! Gorgeous. Fantastic. So yeah, it, it does appear to be a, a, a moving family drama about this this family moving into the city and obviously having a tougher life experience in New York City there, right? Yeah, this was is it not, It's not New York. It's Chicago. Is Chicago? Chicago. New York Chicago. City? Chicago. 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 Yep. Home of deep dish. Yeah. Deep dish pizza. Talk about a <laughs> nap-inducing pizza. All right. Ghostbusters. <laughs> Frozen Empire. Speaking about fans of deep dish pizza, Bill Murray's in this. Dan Aykroyd's in this. Uh, we got the old game getting together with the new gang, gang Paul Rudd, Kerry Coon, and they're off. No, they're they're not the parents, but uh, Finn Wolfhard is son of Kerry Coon in this film. Yeah, but the Reitman think... legacy on full display. What'd you think of this trailer? I don't know. I I think it's impossible to hate. I mean, trailer okay. one looked like it was all about the seriousness, which with this threat is coming, this frozen enemy. And then this looks like just like the good times that are going to happen to kind of usurp what happens. Okay. I, I think here's where I'm really reaching my threshold on something, Michael. Okay. And the MCU probably got me here. So it's not Ghostbusters, the Frozen Empire's fault. But I'm reaching my threshold on cataclysmic violence, cartoon, cartoonish cataclysmic violence, and nobody getting hurt. 
Like, yeah. right, right, like it, the ice that. is coming through the beach and nobody gets touched. Yeah. But everybody's afraid of it. But whatever. It's just cartoon CGI, too much CGI, when I think what we all loved, or one factor that we all loved about the original Ghostbusters was so much practical effects, and it had such a huge scope to all the practical effects of the original Ghostbusters that they were able to pull off. Just go yeah. back to that. I know it's expensive, right? But I don't know. I also was half expecting the uh, 2016 women's team to show up at some point. I I don't I don't think they're going to do that. Does not seem that way. Yeah, I mean it's a blatant nostalgia play, and I'm not against that. I mean, fine, make it work. But all right, the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, Guy Ritchie, Henry Cavill. <laughs> what do you think? Dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's the only thing I wrote. I just I watched it and that stupid mustache. And that you don't like the facial hair. Okay, it just looks. Sti- you I were mean, a sure fan. Fine. You were a fan of the Fallout stash there from Henry Cavill. Were you not? The Fallout stasher. What's that? The Mission Impossible Fallout. Oh, oh Henry oh, yes, Cavill's yes, mustache. Yes. You were a fan yes. of this. So yes. why don't you like the big bushy beard? I don't know. You don't like it. All right. But this seems like Inglorious Bastards with Superman with a big bushy beard and Jack Reacher with a teeny tiny sunglasses <laughs> doing crazy war stuff. I don't know. It looks like the expend forbles, but better? I, I'm sure it'll be. I mean, it's Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie doesn't make like a horribly offensive movies. It's it's always watchable, right? Except Except when he made horribly offensive movies about right. his girlfriends and no okay uh the covenant <laughs> the gentleman the or was he married to madonna when they got together anyway yeah the, the covenant the gentleman <laughs> the covenant the gentleman were two recently so, uh, better than solid films i would say from guy Ritchie. so i didn't hate this i don't i mean he's getting more and more prolific yeah he is he is all right tear it i'll just rewatch rock and roll there you go Tarot. What do you think of the, the, the tarot? My tarot, 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 like tarot? a tarot card. I don't know. I'm, I'm an innocent boy who grew up in a Christian household. I don't know what this tarot. stuff is. Tarot. I thought it was tarot cards. No, tarot. All cards, these man. years, tarot yeah. cards. So you've never had a tarot card reading, I take it. No, apparently yeah. not. No, I'd never have. I've never had, I've always wanted one, but I figure it's fruitless because I know how that story ends. It's like, oh, it's the third death card in a row. How, (laughs) how fitting. (laughs) I know, lady. I know. That's how I figure it would go for me. Like, jeez, Mike. (laughs) uh, I I mean, this should have just been called trope the trailer, right? There's so many horror tropes. Why would anybody, if you're ever in a position in which you're scared or being hunted by something that you think might be supernatural, why would you ever look through a keyhole in your life? Because teenagers are rockheads. And here's the question (laughs) I have for you. Would you think the teenagers are dumber? Are they dumber and talk to me? Are they dumber and talk to me, the number two? Are they dumber here? I hate that this is a thing that horror movies are doing now. Just leaning into, well, teenagers suck, right? <laughs> they probably do. And they would. Like, they would do this. Of course teenagers would do this. It's it's realistic. But, like, yeah. that's exactly what this is. This is, this is like, scary stories you tell in the dark mixed with goosebumps, mixed with the teenagers from Talk To Me who know that they're, they're messing with something supernatural but don't care because they have to kill time on a Saturday night. Yeah. 
looks stupid. It's I mean, the aesthetic, the aesthetic. I like some of the costume and art design, but yeah, it just I can't get past it. Either. Yeah. All right, Ricky Stanicki is where we'll finish <laughs> because, of course, we will. Ricky Stanicki. Here's the premise: When three childhood best friends pull a prank that goes wrong, they invent the imaginary Ricky Stanicki to get them out of trouble. Twenty years later, they still use the non-existent Ricky as a handy alibi for their immature behavior. Yeah, so this is how much of an actual real-life stereotype of a man I am. When I heard this premise where they have to hire an actor to play the fake best friend they've been using as the excuse to have guys trips without their girls for years, <laughs> literally, this isn't a joke. Like, unironically, the first thought I had was like, yeah, that'll work. That's foolproof. <laughs> I also enjoyed this trailer. <laughs> Yeah, they got a lot of mileage out of that <laughs> lie that they thought was a white lie. And yeah, Zach Efron, Andrew Santino, I forget who else is in here. Obviously, uh, oh, MMO favorite, Dominic West. I mean, yes. This looks really funny, man. This looks <laughs> looks really funny. Amazon Prime is if behind it. People are it. just listening to us for the. They have no idea what's what's going on. I I think John Cena and Dominic West look similar. <laughs> you're you're. You're dope. All right. Uh, the John Cena, really funny in this trailer. Uh, I think he's he's flexing a lot of comedic muscles lately. He's got the muscles to flex. He uh, commits, March 7th. man. This is going directly to streaming. This is another one of the Amazon Prime slate going directly to streaming. Ricky Stenicki and Roadhouse. This feels a little more like the director screaming. Yes. Screaming or streaming this is, fair well, that we'd get. Like, uh, like John Cena's uh, Vacation Friends franchise that went sure this is kind of in that vein yeah i agree you don't have a film twitter outcry about ricky stanicki going directly to streaming (sighs) netflix came out recently and they were uh, one of the heads of production or or one of their studios sees me people uh she said that you know netflix fans don't we're not going to go into theaters because netflix fans want their movies on netflix so there is that drive that, like, there's still these big streamers aren't. They're not going away. They're going to we've just been keep seeing, throwing stuff on their on their streamers. We've been seeing Netflix's bottom line for years, and they've been making whatever their margins are, are tremendous billions of dollars with their model, and they, they, they got jar jolted a little bit by the stock market. Of course, they did. But I don't know. I mean, it's going to take another stock market jolt to get them into serious theatrical play. They're going to keep making money the way they've made as much money as they've made. They're over $500 a share. I mean, good God. But this this makes sense that Amazon Prime, and there's always been direct-to-video. There's always been direct-to-home video movies, movies of the week, TV movies. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. And that's kind of what direct-to-streaming has taken the place of. And it even works doubly because you think back to those direct-to-TV, direct-to-TV, direct-to-video movies and sequels and stuff, and they would always star, like, you know, B-level actors. They would never be, like, the the prestige of the prestige. Except now, there's no differentiation. This is why there's no movie stars anymore either. Like, there's no differentiation between an A-level actor or a B-level actor because there's just so many famous people because there's so many networks and channels and outlets and studios and streamers. Like, every Ben Affleck just commented on this. I don't know where he was, mm-hmm. but he was like, the reason there's no prime t- premier movie stars anymore is that everybody has, has the ability now to cultivate their own who they think are stars and just follow them. You know what I mean? Like, you're not, there isn't that 
community of having to see the movie of the week and then gathering around the water cooler to talk about it on Monday. Everybody is off doing their own things. The Dominic West Hive is going to show up for the Dominic West film. Right, correct. After the affair, after the turn as Prince Charles in the crown, he's go- they're going to be here. They're going to show up for Ricky Stenick. They'll, they'll show up by mistake because they're confused that it's not actually their guy, but they'll show up. Uh-huh. Well, that's it. That's as good a place as any to stop. Uh, guys, as always, what matters to most to us, dear listener, are your thoughts. Let us know uh, any input you have on any of these stories, uh, whether they are Oscar-related or future Oscar-related or otherwise. As well, you can always leave us your thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns about anything we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter or X. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. And if you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or the Spotify app, if you appreciate what we do here, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, those help us out immensely. Uh, you can, a lot of people have been commenting lately on our stuff on Spotify. Uh, thank you for all those shout-outs as well. Mm-hmm. The, uh, we read those, every single one of them. Really cool of you to do. Um, Mike, tell the good people what's coming next. Do we even know? And what's some words of wisdom to end on? We don't quite know. Uh, we're, we're juggling some guests right now. We're hoping to, to book some uh, MMO favorites so that we definitely uh, definitely want to do that and uh, we'll see it might be a guest episode it might be the Mike Mike and Oscars it might be another Oscar race checkpoint so please it's wise to if you want if, to partake in the writing of our annual award show that uh, I really enjoy uh, putting yeah. together for us uh, do that do that we've done that in the past and uh, send us some more superlatives declarations we call them what is your favorite hair uh, or, or wig on the season that's your favorite dominic west performance done by john cena in twenty twenty. your favorite your favorite dumb teenager i don't know whatever <laughs> your least you, favorite you dumb teenager. your least favorite dumb teenager <laughs> yeah. we could go the razzies or the oscars route here so uh enjoy that and send us your categories or send you know pick your winners or just send us the category and let us pick the winners. Whatever you want to do, however you want to take that, it's always fun. Uh, and we'll do that on the future, I think the sixth annual Mike, Mike, and Oscars coming out. We're getting old. Uh, we are getting the, old. The guest we talked about in the pre-production has a deadline on the 12th and is wants to do it after that date. Just so you Okay. Know. So, All right. Well, there's that. Okay. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. There you go. Little little cryptic uh, foreshadowing to end the episode. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> mm-hmm. when reality sucks, you can create your own categories or be cryptic with us. See, I combined the last two things we talked about at the end. Two of things. Oh, my I'm God. Growing. I'm growing as a presenter. <laughs> yeah, you're, uh, that's right. You're growing. <laughs> <laughs> we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make awards season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See you. See you.